when his when, when, when the Pharisees challenged him in the temple with the man with the withered hand because they saw the man and they thought, man, this guy is a pushover for healing. We're going to get him to heal in front of everybody on the Sabbath and set him up and trap him so we can accuse him. So they said, excuse us, teacher. They didn't care about the man. Are you kidding me? They didn't care at all about the man with the withered hand. The man with the withered hand is just at temple because it's the Sabbath. There's no indication that he was there to be healed. They exploited him. They took his condition, exploited it to trap Jesus. It's in your Bible. They said, "Uh, excuse us, teacher. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Here's the guy. Can you imagine? You could see, I love those. I I I don't know if you watch visual Bible stuff, but it brings it to life because it's word for word Bible. I really like it. They show the man on there, whoever did this thing was definitely, I just believe was led by the Spirit in, in doing these uh, videos because the guy, he goes, he looks like me? And he draws back and he pulls his hand in his cloak like, hey, don't pick on me because they just pick, picked him out of the crowd because he had a sickness. And Jesus said, what is, he said, uh, who of you, who of you having a, a sheep would fall into a pit on the Sabbath wouldn't reach in and pull it out every one of you in this room would so therefore it's right to do good on the Sabbath and he said watch what he said sir there's animosity all through the room they're exploiting the man there's zero love do you understand do you understand in the room there's zero love except for him That's right, John. And love covers all that stuff. So Jesus says, he didn't even ask if he believed he could do it. He just said, sir, stretch forth your hand. And what? And immediately. So in the face of adversity, animosity, exploiting, trickery, trying to accuse before the goodness of God overcame it. And he said, sir, stretch forth your hand. What happened to the man's hand immediately? So it's authority and power through Jesus. That's what happened there. Authority and power. It's amazing. I just want more and more of that kind. I was in a Walmart, and a lady's walking like this one time. She had a big knee thing on, a big long brace on. And I said, hey, girl, man, you messed up your leg. She said, oh, it's my knee. She said, but, but, and she had a manager sticker on. And I said, wow. I said, listen. I said, this, I don't know, this might sound strange to you, but bear with me. She said, what? How can I help you? I said, well, just hold still a minute. I'm just going to act like we're just going to keep talking. I see your manager. I don't want to put you on the spot. I'm not here to frustrate you or make you embarrassed. I want to pray for your knee without making a scene. She said, huh? I said, it's okay. And she said, well, I said, no, no, nobody will even know. I just want to pray right now. I said, Father, thank you for your love for her. And I just began to pray, boldly just took it. I thought, she thinks I'm nuts. She thinks I'm nuts. It just didn't matter to me. And I'm praying because I'm trusting God's going to do something. And never touched her. She was totally off page. When she's looking at me and I'm praying, she's looking at me like, you're cuckoo. That's how she's looking at me. Like, what is wrong with you? And it was a beautiful scene because she's standing there giving me these eyes like, "You, you ain't quite right. And I just prayed, and I said, honey, check your knee. I want you to take a couple steps. 
she took two steps like this and went, are you kidding me? What? I said, check it a little. What? Because now she's thinking I'm cuckoo. And that didn't seem to stop God's mercy. But it didn't seem to stop. It wasn't like God sat back and said, hmm, Dan's in a good place. He's rightly representing me, but she, she is, see, it's not works, it's grace. You know, she's off base, she's off track, she's not on page, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Now watch, the more you minister that way, the more you start to grow in faith that way. You see what I mean? Because here's the scenario, then you turn around, you go to church, and you got somebody that says they believe and says, pray for me, and it feels like we can't get the answer. You follow it? Does that ever drive your mind crazy? It tries to drive mine crazy. I just don't think enough to let it drive me crazy. <laughs> you follow me? Yeah. So you're saying that darkness just flees. It has no, when we get this right and we know our identity and we walk. There's a, it's called authority. And authority it's, it's the light. That light, the, the darkness just has to flee. Watch this. Because Jesus knew who he was with his father and he just it just went perfect watch this go to John chapter 1 good good comment it's called authority it's, it's so what's greater light or dark ye are the light of the world it's, it's excellent what you're saying yeah it's exactly what I'm saying watch this John chapter 1 the gospel in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God who's he talking about the word who's the word Yay. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. Look what the life is. And the life was the light of men. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he breathes life back into you. Guess what the life is? The life is the light. Okay? Now watch what the light does. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't overtake it or comprehend it. Ah! Who are we? The body of Christ. Go into the world. Bam. So we got so much teaching on healing, so many reasons why men can't be healed and why we've just gotten so technical. Some of us, it's been so technical. Some of us have sat under so much teaching that says, well, they can't be healed if there's unforgiveness in their heart. They can't be healed if there's generational curses. You have to deal with that first. They can't be healed if there's unresolved. They can't be healed if there's unbelief. <sighs> It's all lies. It has, it's, 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 there, there seems to be a truth there, but if you put your faith in all that, you're going to get so technical, you're going to put it onto them where they have to get their one, two, three, four, five in order before God can move. And you can't find that happening one time in the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus just came and made it right, and then the ducks get in line. We've prayed for people. I've seen them. I see you, Jenny. Uh, uh, somebody get the mic to her. I... Oh, you have it. Uh, look, I've seen, it was just powerful. We just got to move in that. And if we don't understand that, it's going to get technical. What? <laughs> you ought to be excited. It's, but this, if you really see what we're saying, it's, it's what will cause you to stop somebody and ask to pray. 
That's exactly what it should do. Now watch, now watch. This is, no, this is good. This is God's. He's not out of order at all. Watch this. Now watch. Watch these. Now watch this. These signs shall follow. That's the exact way it should make us feel. Watch. These signs will follow those that. What's the first sign? Healing? They will. The first sign is they will what? Lay their hands on the sick. The fact that we're not stopping the sick to lay hands on them reveals we don't believe. How's that? Are you following? The fact that we're not just stopping the sick to lay hands on them reveals we don't believe. Because the first sign of a believer is get your hands on the sick. If you believe, you'll you'll put your hands on the sick. That's before healing. But we have so many issues with healing that it's causing unbelief and we won't even put our hands out there to reveal that we don't believe. So when you fail to lay your hands on the sick, you're actually confessing, I I don't believe. (laughs) I know that's a straightforward word. (laughs) But see, we're just thinking too much. We gotta get our hands on the sick. Now it doesn't mean we don't believe Jesus heals. What it means is we have issues with ourselves and Him healing through us. It doesn't mean that we don't believe He heals. You can believe Jesus heals, but never lay hands on the sick. Why? Because you're not got the revelation of your own birthright, your own inheritance. What's happening in her heart is, this is my privilege. This is my birthright. This is, you know what I mean? So you lay hands on the sick. We get so caught up. Here's the stuff we do. Well, wonder if God doesn't show up. Wonder if He doesn't heal. Wonder, and we got all these things that are uncertain now that confirm there's no belief. Are you following me? We've, we've taught ourselves in such a jam in the church that when people come to altar, an altar minister could be standing there because of their background and teaching, the person that's sick comes and we are listening to them and the more they talk and share, the more we have reason to believe they're not going to be healed because of the way they're talking. They got a little fear. Wow, I hear unbelief in that. Well, man, they shouldn't be confessing that. No wonder they're hurt and listen to how they think. And then all of a sudden, you're, you got strikes against them. And you already got reasons in your heart why they might not get healed, but you pray anyway because you're in that position and it's the Christian thing to do. <sighs> and then we pray and, and just say, well, no wonder they didn't get healed. because." But you just allowed what they don't see to determine what you do see. And it subverted the authority that's in your spirit in Jesus' name. I tell some people, don't ask too many questions. Don't inventory too much. Because the more natural knowledge you have, then you have to believe through all that. Sometimes you don't need to know anything. Do you know what I'm saying? You say, well, what's wrong with you? Well, how did this? Well, where did, man, when did that happen? And then you start all this teaching. Wow, I bet this is connected and this might go back. And I bet there's some kind of, now you're more mysterious and trying to detectively figure out all this stuff instead of just be healed because of the love of God. You follow me? Okay, you girls got the mics. There's stuff churning here in the room, so that's. somebody, okay? Mm-hmm. We have the Great Commission, okay? We've, we've been taught so many different things. God bless you. We just dove in. 
because we're simplifying. What is simple? It's, it's the wisdom of this is you want to be, when you approach somebody, respectable. I've heard so many people teach, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But the Great Commission is the Holy Spirit. It's just... It's, it's, the word it's is spirit and life, okay. so yeah. We have what I believe. What I believe is divine go, so that covers it. It truly does. Do you understand what she's saying? Watch. Let me, I'll let you finish. Watch. I need to teach this. You stay up. I'm not going to be long with this. The Holy Spirit might highlight somebody in a setting to you. You might be walking down the street and there's a hundred people on the street and somebody might highlight to you. And that's great when that happens. But all hundred people on the street, you have the privilege to love. You already have the yes and the go. You don't need led by the Spirit to people. The Word already leads you to the people. You follow? Go ahead. Did you... Did you? Oh, okay. So in other words, do you see what we're saying? Who knows I could be in a restaurant and all of a sudden somebody, I just get an impression for somebody. And that's the Spirit of God highlighting someone. That's awesome. That's fun when that happens. But if you only wait for that and only move when that happens, you're going to miss the privilege of loving people all along the way. Because it's God's will that you love them and pray for how many sick? The sick. What city? Whatever. Whatever city, the sick. So the Lord already told you to go and do that. You don't need a leading of the Spirit. We have fun sometimes at Power and Love. There was a couple of Power and Loves we did. We just bought a bunch of little fishing sinkers and split shots because they're made of lead. And we'd put them in the people's pockets. And we said, if you have trouble feeling lead, reach in your pocket. After you squeeze that, go pray for the sick. See? And some people think that's insulting because we're like, yeah, but I'm only doing what, you know, Jesus only did what he saw the Father do and said what he heard. But Jesus is the Father revealed. So if Jesus said it, the Father's saying it. So if Jesus said, go, what's the Father saying? Go. If Jesus said, whatever city you're in, heal the sick, what's the Father saying right now? Whatever city you're in. So you have the privilege to pray for the sick. However, Holy Spirit will instigate, inspire, and highlight people at times. But we're not just waiting for that. See, I talk to Christians that have had a neat thing happen in public and it becomes their testimony and they ride the wave of that. And, and then you meet them a year later and they're still bringing up what God did a year ago and they're still waiting for another phenomenal encounter. And a whole year went by and they're riding that wave. When there could be so many things that have happened from that year that you couldn't recall. Because you just stepped forward in love. Go ahead, Sherry. Yeah. Um, yeah, when you were in Matthew 17, and, and you were talking about the mustard seed, that the faith of the mustard seed can move a mountain, and the last verse 21 says, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. That sounds like an exception that you have to... Right, well, I'm getting there. I didn't get there yet. I will... We will totally answer that question. Thank you. You're reading out ahead of me, student. <laughs> You're awesome. Love you. No, it's funny. She's checking this out. But no, we're working our way to there. We're working our way to there because it does sound like an exception. It sounds like a proviso. It sounds like fine print on the bottom of a contract or something. But who knows that's not Jesus. There's no catches, right? So, so we're going to cover that. Good. That's, no, that's an excellent observation. It's actually a good comment. Okay, so you've got to understand that verse 20 was written because 19, the question was asked. 
think about this. I want you to take your time with your Bible. Don't be in a hurry and read your Bible so you can quote it. You don't want to quote your Bible. You want to become what it says. So quoting your Bible is not our priority. Understanding it is our priority. So, so when, you, when you read verse 20, you know that verse 20 is being spoken because 19, they ask a humble question, didn't they? Come on, if you were those nine disciples and you're praying with all your heart sincerely, who's ever prayed for the sick sincerely and didn't see them healed? <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> Did you see the emotion in me about that? That right there can be a problem. Because my head gets in the way, my feelings are. Todd and I are so funny. We're like, we grunt and snort at each other when we're praying for the sick and they're not being heard. We're down, we're down praying for their feet and they're up there. He's like, dude, we need so much more of Jesus. Just stop, just stop. Jesus is in us. I'm telling you, it just. Sometimes it gets me. And the more you focus on that, you need more of Jesus, the more you feel like you don't have enough of him. So, you know, Jesus is enough. So there's a place where your mind just gets involved. Who knows what I'm saying? Your mind gets involved. And that's what he's addressing here. Watch. Why couldn't we cast it out? Because, this is straight up amazing answer, because of your, who's? The disciples. He didn't say anything else, guys. I'm so glad he didn't. He keeps this thing so simple. Because if he said other things, now we got big picture stuff. But you got to get it, narrow it down. It's a narrow door. It's narrow. It's narrow. Because of your unbelief. You can't even bring into this and say, well, that was in this situation. But there could be other exceptions. If you can't find them illustrated, don't create them. Hello? Don't make exceptions if you can't find them illustrated through the life of Jesus. Don't say, well, that doesn't mean there can't be times where it was just the person's unforgiveness. I have watched more people than I can recall get healed and cry because they were healed because their heart and life came up in front of them after they were healed because the goodness of God went and exposed and they brought them to repentance. And, and I've had people literally confess the sorry condition of their heart after they were healed. And they're already healed. Oh, that sure beats trying to deal with everything in front of it so that you have an out when you go to pray, well, we must have missed something. Well, that's technical and method. That's not even faith and love. Well, we must have missed something. No, Jesus said it's finished. He didn't miss anything. We're missing something. It's his love. Well, I must have missed something. There must still be something there. The fact that we're thinking that way is because we're technical. It's taking it away from the finished work and the authority. And it already reveals that we're not moving in what he's teaching right here. Did he address the Father and the Son at all? He's talking to his disciples. Watch this. Why couldn't we? See, this makes people so offended nowadays. Because people say, well, don't tell me I didn't have faith. Because we've hurt each other. Well, if you had faith, you'd be healed. Well, you need to just get more faith than you can receive. You just got to believe, brother. And we put it on each other, right? 
I'm telling you, the sick folks can look at us just as quickly and say, well, where's your faith? You're telling me you know Jesus. Please give him to me. How easy is it for me to pray for Jesse and then Jesse doesn't receive and I say, well, buddy, you need to just get along with God and find out what's going on in your heart, your life and just get faith because he loves you. He wants to heal you. Just get faith, man. That is such a cop-out. You show me one person Jesus prayed for, didn't see the result and then said, Man, you know what? If you can get faith, you can be healed. Go get some faith. He's not even addressing the sick person. He's addressing his ministers. Because the sign follows the... It doesn't have anything to do with the sick person. But if you believe it does... Thanks, Sue. I see you. If you believe it does, you're, you're going you're gonna to put a ceiling over you, you're, you're going to miss what verse 21, what her question was asking. You're going to miss what that's addressing. So let me move on with this. Because of your unbelief, some Bibles might say little faith, right? Yeah, you can read the message. Yeah, just read, just read, don't read the whole verse. Just read that part right there, what it says about because of your unbelief, that first sentence. The simple truth is, you're not taking God seriously. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw, I saw that in the message before Todd showed me that one day. He was reading and he went, dude, look at this. I said, oh. It's because of your unbelief. So his answer is four words. Because of your unbelief. Has nothing to do with the dad. Has nothing to do with the kids. Has nothing to do with the generations. Has nothing to do with the condition of their hearts. Has nothing to do with nothing over this way. He's talking to his own guys who he anointed, who he gave authority, who he released to do this. He said, it's what you guys are failing to see. That's what that means. The unbelief. He's not saying, well, you guys just don't have faith. He's not being crude. He's not being offensive. He's not doing what we've done to each other. Well, I wonder why they died. Because they didn't have faith. They didn't have, if they had faith, they wouldn't have died. Their, their son wouldn't have died if they had faith. That is so, don't you talk to people ever like that. <laughs> because you will be held. God would, God would hold you the way you judge. You'd be judged. Well, the, the hot shot, if you had faith, why didn't you go over there and get the boy up? You don't put it on a family. God's put it on his people, his body. Who knows that I'm called to the privilege of faith? But if you hold me to that and don't give me your faith in a situation where I need it, how can the sick ever ask for prayer if it's just about everybody's individual faith? Is any among you sick? Is he talking about anybody in the world or is he writing to the church in James? The church, is anybody among you sick? Is there anybody sick? Let them call for help why because whatever you're standing on and believing it's not happening i've got issues here that aren't going away let them ask for prayer and have the elders pray that means the maturing ones the believing ones the ones that are in the lord for a season maybe longer than than you've been whatever it, it doesn't mean office of elder it means the maturing growing ones in the lord let them pray over him anointing him with all the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. So that's a promise. So is it the will of God to heal? Yeah, or he wouldn't be asking the sick to ask for prayer. He's not playing charades. He's not saying ask for prayer and I'll see if I decide to do it. 
It's not even about God deciding to do it. He has already made himself clear through the cross and resurrection of his son. We just read in Corinthians last week, he's yes and amen on the matter. Was he a yes and amen to the epileptic boy? But was he healed? But he was yes and amen. Did God choose not to heal? So we have the privilege of representing God's heart, God's will, and God's kingdom. And we need to know him because those that know their God do great exploits. Not those that read their Bible and take a crack at it. Come on, this thing is all about sellout, integrity, honor, humility, surrender. It's all about living by the Spirit. Because of your unbelief. That's, that's the problem, unbelief. It has to go back to perverse thinking. You perverse, corrupt, perverse thinking, corrupted-minded people. What's he saying? The fall of man sure got into your heads. And you've lost sight of who you are because of me. If you knew who you were because of me and my sake being here, if you understood your identity because I am here, if you knew who you were because of me being here, this boy would be healed. You're losing sight of who you are now that I've come. You're reverting back to mere men. You're seeing yourself in some other eye. That's amazing. Identity is huge. This is Jesus talking. I take it so serious. There's no other, there's no other response to their question. Because of what you're failing to see is really what he's saying. Isn't he? And then he flips it. There's a semicolon in your Bible, probably. It says, because of your unbelief or little faith, semicolon, right? And then he shifts right into an answer because he's answer conscious, isn't he? He says, for assuredly, or your Bible might say truly. This is for sure. You can, you can take this one to the bank. Jesus says, for assuredly, I say to who? To you. Yeah, is he talking to the dad and the boy? He's talking to his men, isn't he? For surely I say to you, if who? Oh my goodness, it has nothing to do with even God and His will right now. Oh my goodness, does it? If you, if you have faith. Do you hear the privilege in this? Do you hear this is worth going after and laying your life down for? Or you can get distracted and live menial and just kind of live half-hearted and kind of half in and half out. And, uh. God forbid we have to face so much loss that we either finally get serious or make up more reasons for the loss. You see what I'm saying? Because the loss is, who knows the loss is mounting? Who knows there's way too much loss? And the loss will do one or two things. It'll either drive you to him and his presence for answers and for more, or it'll cause you to rewrite a book that's already written and compromise the truth to encounter even more loss and have a grid for it to be able to somehow accept it even though we're not okay. That's the paradox, isn't it? Now watch. I know it's break time. I just really needed to get this done. Are you guys okay? Give me five or so minutes, five or so. (laughs) If you have faith, assuredly I say to you, if you have faith, 
as a mustard seed. Now he's talking about faith because he just told him because of your little faith. So the phrase little faith mustn't be equivalent to mustard seed faith. That's, you follow? Why wasn't he healed? Because of your little faith. But he just said, if you have a mustard seed, wasn't mustard seed little faith? No, he's talking about faith. The hope and realization of that hope. And then the evidence of what hasn't been seen yet. The knowing of God's will. The knowing of the yes and amen through Christ. Faith. In Mark 11, he says, have faith in God. He doesn't say, have faith in your faith. Have faith in your prayer. Have faith in your ability. Have faith in your Bible knowledge. Have faith in your fluent speech. Have faith in God. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will what? You will. Who will? Who's he talking to? Believers. You will. So Jesse loses somebody, and he's been standing and standing, praying everything he could find in that Bible, and they, and they, and they slip away. And he's sitting on his bed, and tears are rolling down his face, and he says, Jesus, I just need to know you more. Man, I'm just hurting. I mean, why? Why did I lose him? Why did I lose Billy? Such a good friend. Jesus slips up to Jesse, and his presence comes on Jesse and comforts him, and he says, Jesse, it's because of what you're failing to see. Isn't that an amazing response from Jesus? That's not offensive. That's not pressure. That means there's hope to see something clearer and more. Thank God his will's already settled. We're not trying to turn the... It's not like the old emperor movies, thumbs up, thumbs down. We're not praying over a person with cancer looking up, wondering, I wonder if this is a thumbs up or a thumbs down situation. Thumbs are up. You got two thumbs up. Come on. And he sits and he wraps his arm around Jesse and he says, Jesse, buddy, it's just what you're failing to see. But truly, Jesse, I tell you this. Could you imagine him sitting beside Jesse and he takes his chin and his eyes are filled with tears and Jesus takes his chin and puts his chin and looks him right in the eyes. He says, Jesse, truly, I tell you this. Who knows if Jesus says truly, it's truly. He says, Jesse, if you see what I see, you will do what I do. And Jesse, nothing is impossible for you. Isn't that what he just said? (gasps) Is he talking to you? Now, if you take that serious or not is up to you. I could preach it till I'm blue in the face, but it's for you to take serious. It's for you to surrender your life to. Now, I'm not being over militant when I say that. What you do with Christ is what we'll all answer for. And I can lull myself to sleep. I can chuckle myself into a place. And I can ignore the great privilege that he's talking about here. Kind of live half-hearted. Or I can go after this thing because I believe the honor that I have for Jesus. I believe this is a possible place. I believe this place is for us. Now watch. Because of your unbelief, that means what you fail to see. It it means what goes through your mind that creates doubt. Self-consciousness, self-focus, did I pray right? I wonder if that was the right thing to pray. All that stuff fits there. Watch. 
But if you have faith, Jesse, if you see what I see, you will say the mountain. You won't cry out to God in despair. You're not pleading and begging. In authority. Do you see the authority of this? Do you see the lady in Walmart? Knee right now, you be healed in Jesus' name. Every pain come out. I walked her three aisles down to go in the aisle because she wanted to know how this is possible. She said, sir, this is freaky. How can this be? I said, I can explain it. What aisle are you heading to? I'm going down to, and we're just walking, and I'm talking, and now she's walking. She's got this big brace on, and she's walking, and she says, she goes like this, it doesn't hurt at all. And I said, no, I understand. You're like, you believed that was going to happen. Well, I stopped you, didn't I? I said to the man, when the man told me he didn't believe with a hand numb, I said, listen, friend, I believe, etc. And then he said, well, we laughed and talked, and I had a good time with him because he was trying to escape me, and there was no way to get out of it. To the point that even when he walked away, we believed, and he still got healed. Isn't that sweet? You want to get in a place where he just can't get out of it. I said, Lord, when people walk away disgruntled, and say, get out of here, man. I don't even stop soliciting your religion. And they turn to walk away. I want to be in a place where I love them so much. I look at them and I say, be healed. And, they, and, they're, and in mid-stride with meanness in their heart, the ruptured disc disappears. Won't that change some things? It, wouldn't that be the goodness of God leading men to change? See, I could tell you a lot of neat stories about stuff like that where I've seen it, I've tasted it. I want it to not elude me. I want it to just be my everyday reality. But I got enough stories to not turn back. (laughs) I'm I'm running so late. I am so sorry. I just wanted to finish this. You will say to the mountain, move, and the mountain will what? Will it move? It will. He didn't say maybe it'll move. He said it will move. So is the evidence of faith... You speaking at a mountain or the mountain moving? Right. Wow. So if a mountain doesn't move, let's not be presumptuous and say, well, I'm in faith. Let's just say, God, keep taking me in deeper. God, I need to see you clearer. Lord, I feel a little pressed in this situation. Like I'm trying too hard. I feel like I'm striving. Whoever felt like they were striving, praying. Yeah. God, I need to back off and get a grip. And we'll teach on all that somewhere down the line. Move from here to there. So did Jesus say, if you say the mountain move with faith, it'll move? And what? 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 I wonder if that's a misprint. Because nothing's nothing. It doesn't say if God wills. It says if you see clear. Come on. This thing is so solid. God already wills. He sent his son. It's all about us seeing clear. We're still rewriting a book that's already written. What did he say? Nothing? Is that in your Bible or does this just end up in mine? (laughs) Nothing will be impossible for God? Oh my goodness, for who? Does your Bible say that? Nothing's impossible for who? So Jesse, Jesus sitting on your bed telling you this is a reality. Because you're reading that sitting on your bed. He's talking to who? Is it possible? Is there a place for you to grow to where there's no limit? And as Jesus did, you do. Is that possible? And here's where it sounds like a provision. However, uh, however, however, this kind, 
Is he talking about epilepsy? Can't possibly be talking about epilepsy. That's way back up there four verses ago. What are they talking about? What's the topic of conversation? Unbelief, per perverse thinking, corrupted mindedness, the effects of the fall in our mind. What's the topic? Unbelief. Here's how you know he's not talking about epilepsy. If you only read Mark 9, you'll preach he's talking about epilepsy. But if you read the whole the Paul Harvey version, the rest of the story, you'll find that he can't possibly be talking about the epilepsy because he just gave Jesse an unhinged, unlimited promise. Here's what he said. Jesse, if you see what I see, you will do what I do and nothing will be impossible for you, Jesse. Oh, wait, however, uh, wait. No, that's right. This spirit, he's a little tougher and yeah, he's a little more resistant. Yeah, you're, yeah, it's probably more than just believing. You probably have to do something if you're going to cast him out. That's not what he's saying. When he said nothing, he meant nothing. Right? However, this kind, what kind? So here's what he's saying, guys. He's saying, look, I know the promise sounds great. And I know the sky seems to be the limit meaning no limit, right? Yeah, because the sky being the limit doesn't mean there's a limit. That means there's no limit because the sky, there's so many galaxies. The sky's the limit's not a bad phrase. I've heard people say, well, I don't even want the sky to be my limit. No, you do. Because <laughs> there's no limit to the sky. <laughs> Nothing shall be impossible for you, however, this kind. So he's saying, as great as this promise sounds, it'll never be fulfilled in your life until you get this, this potential of thinking through self-consciousness, flesh awareness, works, striving your own ability out of you. This thing that stumbled you from healing the epileptic boy, this thing that I addressed in your mind will not come out of you. This kind of unbelief is what I have circled in my Bible. If you see my Bible, I have, I have this kind circled unbelief in an arrow right here because of your unbelief. That's the answer to the question. Why couldn't we cast it out? Because of your unbelief. However, this kind of unbelief will not come out of your life unless you stay in a place of prayer and seeking God and fasting. And that's what we'll talk about in the second half a little bit. Make sense? He's talking about a mindset that's contrary to truth. Okay? Wow, I really stretched you. I'm disciplining your bladders today. Are you? A, I thought it was the power of God on some of you. <laughs> it's the power of bladder. Go get ministered to. <laughs> See you in a little. Huh? Hiding verses at the bottom. Yeah. Well, thank God I said some translations leave out verse 21. Uh, you uh, don't be thrown by that. Uh, if they have it at the bottom, at least they have it at the bottom. Just don't take verses out. Amen. You'll find if you look in the original, it's there. God wants it there. He kept it there. Verse 20 is there in everybody's Bible, so that we can rejoice because that says nothing will be impossible for you. Verse 21 is a real big help because he's talking about prayer and fasting. Hannah came up and asked me a real uh, straight question about this kind. I don't totally understand. Explain it more. And I thought, wow, that was a good question. So I want everybody to understand. 
when he says this kind, he's talking about a belief that empowers you to see yourself apart from him. An ability to see yourself apart from him, any level of self-consciousness whatsoever. Who's the hope of glory that's inside of you? It's Christ. So Christ in you is the hope of glory. So it has nothing to do with your works. Who knows we've got trapped in works many times in many areas of our lives. Works is a zero. His work is already finished. So this kind of unbelief he's talking about is anything that, that allows you to see yourself apart from what he accomplished and who you are because he's alive. You see what we're saying? So prayer and fasting takes you into that place. Uh, do you notice he says prayer and fasting? Yeah, that's really, uh, really amazing. Uh, let me uh, just real quick look here. Thanks, Father. Uh, let's go to Matthew 9. Matthew 9. Let's look at Matthew 9 quick. Fasting is not a curse word, and it's not something that's just under the law. Fasting is, is beautiful if you understand it. I know there's some things out there... I heard of something on the internet where somebody's saying, hey, it's the law and we're in the season of feasting, not fasting. And, uh, but man, you need to really be careful with that kind of stuff, jesting like that and misappropriating it. The disciples of John, verse 14, Matthew 9, came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Well, when they were fasting often, they were fasting in what? In a realm of works. They were fasting to try to find themselves to be right with God. They're under the law. We don't fast to be right with God. We don't even fast to move God. God's already moved. You're not fasting to draw favor and find favor and get the hand of God to move. He's already, you found favor. He's already moved. Fasting has nothing to do with getting God to move. Fasting has to do with you seeing clear. Follow me? And the reason that happens is because we have a flesh voice that tries to rise up. Who, who hears things contrary to truth a lot in your head? Right? Who in your greatest encouraged moment still has the ability to hear something that's not so encouraging or think something not so... Who has the ability to look in a mirror and speak something good and at the same time hear a whisper it's not so good? True? You want that voice so crushed because that's the voice of a lie. That's the voice of yesterday. That's the voice that we all learned and earned through the fall in a sense. In other words, it came with the package of sin and self-consciousness and... In, uh, in Luke 18, a man said, uh, I'm glad I'm not like that man. I fast twice a week, etc., etc. Well, that's a zero. After the man said all that, Jesus said, which one of these two went home justified? Surely not that man, right? This man, not that man. He thought because he fasted, it's what made him right. It's, it's self-righteousness. Fasting doesn't make you right with God. The finished work of Jesus makes you right with God. You're already right with God. 
Watch what Jesus said about fasting in in Matthew 9. Then the disciples of John came and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not? Well, he wasn't putting his disciples under the law, but he wasn't removing the law in the sense of that they weren't under any law. The higher law is the law of love. If you, if you walk in love, you're going to fulfill the whole law. All the law and prophets hang on love, right? He didn't come to erase the law. He, he came to fulfill the law. Who knows his disciples didn't have the ability to fulfill the law. So Jesus fulfilled the law for them and entered them into him. So they weren't fasting because fasting had nothing to do with the reason they fasted, had nothing to do with his disciples or the reason Jesus was here. Okay? Now watch. Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the day will come, the days will come, when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast. Now watch. You've got to catch this because this sounds confusing. Did you ever see how Jesus talks off the wall, it seems, sometimes? Oh, he's amazing. Because he says, goes right into two analogies. He says, no one, he's revealing the power of fasting and the purpose of it right here. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch, what? Pulls away from the garment and the tear is made even worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins. New wine. He's a new and living way. He's bringing a new testament, new covenant to men. They're wondering why his guys aren't doing the same old thing they've always done. Why aren't your disciples fasting like we fast? Well, because you're still doing the old thing and I've come to bring the new and when they do it, it'll be in a new way for a new reason. We're not going to slap on the old and tie it to the new because it's not going to hold. We're not pouring old way of thinking into brand new wineskins. We're not going to pour in old perspectives and old motivations and old legalistic mentalities and old things into something brand new. But in that day, they will fast. That means the fasting and the reason for fasting is going to be brand new. They fasted to be qualified. They fasted for self-righteous reasons. Look at Isaiah 58 real quick with me. I mean, it just sounds off the wall. He says, then they, he didn't say, he said, then they, what? Will fast. In that day, they, what? Will fast. Now, I'm not being legalistic. You guys know my heart, hopefully, by now. I'm saying, Jesus is saying it's not even an option. It's part of kingdom living. It's, It's part of a reality that we embrace because of the benefit and blessing of getting free from ourselves. He said, in that day they what? Will. (laughs) So I understand the whole feasting thing, but there's also fasting. (laughs) It just is. Watch this. I know I turned you to 
Isaiah 58, but look at Matthew 6. You can just, I can quote it for you. Uh, thank you, God. He talks about giving, charitable deeds, praying. Verse 16, he's talking about principle, not to do it, to be seen by men. When you're fasting to be seen by men, you're just trying to get people to think you're spiritual because you need encouraged in the fact that you are. How's that for straight? <laughs> you don't need to fast openly. You, you wash your face and you fast. Nobody even knows you're fasting. Why? Because it's before the Lord and the benefits are within yourself and they're within your own mind. It has nothing to do with finding favor with God. You've already found favor. It's nothing to do with making yourself more right with God. You're as right as you could ever be. The blood speaks on your behalf. Right? But watch this. Verse 16. Moreover, if you fast... Does it say that? What's it say? Oh my goodness. When you fast. Not if you fast. <laughs> Pick up on those words. Because in 1 John 2, it doesn't say when you sin. It says if you sin. There's differences. Here we are thinking sin is a habit and fasting is a law. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say when you sin and if you fast. He says if you sin and when you fast. We got it so backwards, it's amazing. Oh, I feel like I'm a good teacher today. <laughs> is that good, Randy, or what? Come on. Think with me how twisted up our believing in doctrine has gotten over the years. We, we've, we've made fasting something optional and sin, absolutely. We're not thinking for sin. We're thinking for the kingdom. And because we're thinking for the kingdom, we understand why we're fasting. And fasting is a given because we want more of him. <laughs> Look, if he said, however, this kind of unbelief, this kind of of. of failing to see because of what's going on in the mind is not going to come out of you except by prayer and fasting. That means the benefit of fasting is you're going to see clear, understand, and come to the knowledge of truth. So fasting has nothing to do with a legality. It has to do with a revelation. It has to do with faith rising up. It has to do with seeing what you're entitled to see and getting away the fog, the clouds, the cobwebs, the self-consciousness. Fasting gets you to live, Linda, by the Spirit. Amen? There's this war, it says, that's contrary to, to, it's the Spirit and the flesh. And at the end of the chapter in Galatians 5, it says, and these things are so you don't do what you ought. Why? Because no one's self-made. Their ingenuity's not enough. You're not a self-made man. You're dependent on Christ. You're in Christ. You live by Christ. With Him, we can do anything. Without Him, we're nothing. You're not, you're not called to live by the flesh. You're called to live by the Spirit. And, and God doesn't, doesn't just, just, just go and just... No, He lets us work out our salvation and, and fear and reverence to God and, and come to the knowledge of truth. And it, it has to do with the heart. We're not puppet robot Christians. We're people full of heart. We're willingly His children. 
It's not a Christian mandate. We're in love. Hello? It's not the Christian thing to do is why I live the way. I'm in love. My wife is out of town for 21 days. She left me. It's a long time. I'm, I am okay. Barely. No, I'm okay. She just takes such good care of me. Oh my goodness, she's incredible. When she leaves, I really realize how good care of me she takes. But I'm thinking, she, she, she feeds me. She cooks so ridiculously good. And she always has so much food there. And I'm like, stop. <laughs> but then I eat. <laughs> I said, no wonder I run six miles a day. I'm married to you. <sighs> I come home from Colorado. She has a fresh jug of picked mint tea. I love mint tea. She has it in the freezer or fridge. She has a fresh blackberry pie. She just ran out and picked them right before I come home and baked the pie. What a girl. And she has a zucchini casserole dish there. It's my favorite. Waiting for me, welcoming me home. And I'm like, oh, all this good food. But she's, don't bother. The fridge is so empty, it's hilarious. But I'm thinking she's away. And what God's been stirring because I'm in a marriage with her. When I fast for long times, it's challenging for her. She likes to bless me. She doesn't eat the same. She doesn't know how to cook. She's used to cooking for me. So when I fast, it actually challenges her too. And she would have to feel like she'd have to fast with me, I guess. But she just kind of, but, but, but she's away. And you know what rose up in my heart? I thought, oh my goodness, I'm just going to fast. So I'm just going to probably go on a fast, and who cares how long I fast? I'm just going to fast. You see what I mean? And it's just a good time for it because there's so much grace as far as with my marriage and Kim and, and all that. And, but isn't that neat that that's what came up on my heart when she's away? I'm thinking, what a good time frame to just fast. For years in February, I just shut down in the beginning of February and just fast. It just seems like a good month. I, I don't run in February usually because the weather's so crazy and it's just a good time when I'm running regular I don't go on long fast because I, I, I have a real grace to stay in a regular place of exercise running I just live by temperance I live in temperance who knows what I mean by that self-control so I don't indulge I don't I don't go excessive to me there's a there's a there's a health in that uh, there's some people are, 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 I believe temperance is one of the greatest things we can embrace. And you don't have to live in fear. Just live in temperance. Just be self-controlled. Just eat in moderation. Just don't eat more than you need to. Just don't splurge and indulge. And look, how, look at our society. Two for one. All you can eat. More for your buck. King size. Extra double super whopper size. Look how we're geared our whole life. More for less, more, 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 more. Feed me. Serious. It's, it's, it's the mentality we're raised in. And it's on purpose. To where all of a sudden you're living to eat instead of eating to live. There's a shift. And you become more, you don't realize this, you become more sensual driven, more flesh conscious, 
more nurturing and pampering yourself than seeking the Spirit. There's a trap there you don't understand. It's not legalistic stuff I'm talking right now. Most people are geared to not even want to hear what we're talking about. But if Jesus told his disciples, there's something going on in your mind that's hindering what's in your spirit, what, what I've given you, and it won't come out of you except by prayer and fasting. Now, that's not a works thing. It's a place to suppress the carnal nature, the cry of the flesh. Most addictive habits, most compulsive behaviors can be crushed in a simple three-day water fast. But because the compulsion's there, we won't address it with a fast because the compulsion's more alive than our desire to break it. And I promise you, if you really want to break things, a fast and getting into a supernatural spirit-led fast where, where, where you're trusting God's grace. Like God taught me when I go into a fast years ago. I said, I want to understand fasting. I started seeing it in my Bible. And I said, I didn't read no books on it or anything. I asked the Lord to teach me how to fast. And he, and he taught me how to fast. And I don't go through all the symptoms that people talk about and the shakes and the headaches and the whole. I really don't. I, I'm geared to fast. Like the month of February, I would just shut down and fast. And you wouldn't know I'm fasting except for halfway through. You say, boy, you look thin. And then people get, well, you look pretty thin. And we all, we're so flesh self Are you sure you're okay? You're getting really thin, but I hope you're okay. I was fasting for a lot, and I had some people surround me at church where I pastored some administrators and people that loved me. They, they, three of them came in my office and surrounded me and said, we just want to talk to you. You're really thin. I said, thin's good. What's up? But you just look thinner than you should. So what are you talking about? It's like, everything is so cool. Jesus is crystal clear, crackling in my life. I'm like, yay. (laughs) But they're like, be careful. We're worried about you. It's amazing how we get. Probably was doing better than ever. (laughs) Serious. Better than ever. I want you to see this. When you fast, not if you fast. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites and do it to be seen and known. They disfigure their faces, appear to men to be fasting. They want people to know. People, there's people out there, you know, you know, man, I just came off of a fast. Really? How long did you fast? Well, 12, 12 days, man. Did you ever fast 40? I fasted 43 times. See, that's a zero. Just in that language, if you understood the awesomeness, the blessing, the gift, the humility of fasting, that can't even be in your language. That's a zero. That has nothing to do with fasting. (laughs) I learned that the hard way because I've been doing a lot of fasting over the years and I was fasting out. I don't talk numbers anymore, but I was fasting out past where I'd ever gone. And I was so geared. You have no idea. I was pumped. I was like, I'm going to fast for eternity. And, and, and I got out there, and it was, I was on the day of the longest fast I had ever done. And I walked in the bathroom and was cleaning up, brushing my teeth, doing whatever, ready to go into the next day. And I'm like, Whoa, I'm on that day. Tomorrow's another day. Another day on my checklist, right? And I'm pumped. You couldn't tell I was fasting. I was wired. I wasn't like, 
hamburger. It wasn't like that. It was like, zzzz. And the Lord said, hey, Dan. Yeah. And I, I think I was ready to brush my teeth or something. I was getting ready for bed. And he's like, if you fast past today, it'll be completely for nothing. And I went, huh? What? What do you mean? You've lost sight of what you're doing. Why? Your motivation shifted. He said, you need to break your fast right now. It's become too important time instead of why. And I went, but Lord, he said, the fact that you'd yell but me says everything. Break your fast. I started bawling because I yell butted God. Do you think God knows what he's saying? I was just like when I was a teenager and my dad or mom told me something. They knew what they were telling me. And I'm a teenager and I yell but them as if I know. Does any of us ever do that as a teenager? Your parents are telling you what they know is right, and you're yell button because you're a teenager. And you think you know. I yell butted God. And he said, real quick as a father, the fact that you yell butt me says everything. I fell down, knelt, cried, ran right down, <laughs> diluted a little bit of juice, and <laughs> broke the fast. <laughs> I didn't want nothing to do with that. I bawled. And I started to realize, I sat on my bed then and left him father me a little. And here's what he said. He said, Dan, you lost such sight of it. You just got into time frame and fasting for a period of time as if that's what's important. The why behind your fast is all I want. That's all that matters. Whether it's a day, a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, it's irrelevant. It's the why behind it that brings benefit, not how long you're fasting. It shifts into a work. He said, Dan, if I, if I wouldn't bring this stuff to your attention, you'd be so trapped in pride. He's telling me this on the bed. He said, you'd be in a conversation. Somebody would say, they fast X amount of time. And in your heart, you would say, wow, well, I fasted this. Well, so what? Well, you give me a trophy now? World's greatest faster or something? I don't know. What are we doing? Are you going to give me a medal? You see how we lose track of what we're doing and why? Fasting has nothing to do with you being an amazing faster and how long you're fasting. Fasting has to do with subduing the carnal tendency, flesh, and nature of man. Fasting has to do with suppressing the cry of the flesh, pampering and nurturing the flesh. Isn't that why we don't go out of our way sometimes to bless and help because it's too painful? We don't have time, self-preserving, self-protecting, self-conscious, fear of man, all that stuff entails. Look, I'm tired. I just want to go home. I don't really want to stop and pray. And you justify it because, hey, I don't have to pray for everybody. I'm under grace. I'm not under the law. But you don't realize there's some subtleties there where we might be pacifying the flesh instead of building our spirit. Who cares if I'm tired if they need Jesus? There's a place to get that way. Who cares if I'm hurting right now, if I see they're really hurting? Who cares what it costs me if they can have life? There's a place where fasting will put that militancy in you, where your flesh won't have the voice that it's had most of our lives. How I feel, what I think, has a lot to do with the flesh. So the Lord taught me, I was in my bedroom and I said, please teach, you know how the disciples said, teach us to pray? I saw prayer and fasting in there and I said, please teach me to fast. 
I want you to teach me to fast. And because uh, he had put me on a three-day fast and just shut me down. Remember how David Hogan said he just totally shuts off? Doesn't drink any water or food. That's like medically, scientifically, that is the biggest no-no on the planet. Your body's not made for that. Without food, you can live a long, long time. Most Americans think they'll die in a day. Honestly, most Americans honestly, truly think that if you don't eat for three or four days, that's like starvation and you're going to die. Your body's designed. It actually shuts down and it goes in. It's like some people say, well, I'll, I, I just do a juice fast. Well, that's a real challenge doing a juice fast because you constantly keep hunger activated. And you're constantly fighting hunger on a juice fast. If you just do water, you shut down your hunger. After a couple of days, your body goes into a mode called shutdown. It goes into a survival mode, clean house, shutdown. Your body, your cells search out everything that's foreign, everything that's not good. Uh, things that don't need to be in there that you might be concerned are in there. Right? It's just a house cleaning time. Your organs get to rest. You're not processing food. Everything's like... And your body will actually search. There's tumors. It's proven fact. I don't know why we don't administer this thing medically, the fasting more. There's tumors that will disappear if you go on a long enough fast. Your body will just eat. I had a thing growing on the back of my leg just for years. It, didn't, it wasn't nothing. It just it wasn't, it wasn't cancerous. It was just a growth. It had a name, like a little keloid, a little whatever, whatever it was called. The first long fast that went on, it just disappeared. My body just devoured it. Just came right off my leg. Just said, ooh, you're excess tissue. We're, we, we, we're, we're looking for nourishment right now. We'll just eat you. <laughs> my body just ate the thing right off my leg. Didn't belong there. It wasn't part of me. So my body said, anything not part of you, we're getting rid of. The reason people get a little feverish sometimes is, and, and, and weak and little because your body's cleansing and cleaning and taking out toxins and things. and So you usually drink a lot of water and eat no food. That's, that's a fast. In the wilderness, Jesus hungered after 40 days. It didn't say thirst. He hungered. If you don't drink water, your body in the natural would shut down quickly. And, and without food and water, it's, it's not a long time. Unless God supernaturally. So David's in a place of faith where he just wants to so subdue the need of flesh and man and so wants to submit. Do you hear his heart in that? I so want to submit to the supernatural power of God in my life that I'm willing to cross natural laws believing God will sustain me. I so want to live in the supernatural. That's his heart in that. That's not something you do unless you really see that. And, and, but one day the Lord got my attention years and years ago. He said, I want you to stop eating or drinking until I tell you. And I went, and I was like, that was God. I didn't think it was the devil. I wasn't like, that's a stranger. I rebuke you. You're trying to kill me. I knew it was God. He just spoke in a way where I knew it was God. So I shut down. I didn't eat or drink for three days, nothing. It was totally fine. Nobody knew I was doing it. I was heading home for supper that evening. Uh, at supper time, I mean not for supper, at supper time. And the Lord said, when you get home, I want you to join your family and, and eat. And I said, Lord, what was going on the last three days? Why did I do that? He said, I just wanted to get your attention so you live a fasted life. And he started to speak to me about temperance and not overindulging and just living in a moderate place. And I went, wow, cool. To get my attention to do that, he shut me down completely. And then he just, so I obeyed him. I reaped the benefit of that. Didn't tell anybody. Because you tell people, they go, this is what people do. He didn't drink water for three days? 
that's not healthy. So you run into paradoxes with that because people care. And I knew Jesus told me, but I don't do that. When I fast, I just drink water. I don't eat. The reason is you don't want to trigger hunger. You can take a breath wimp with two grams of sugar and trigger hunger and break your fast. Because your body goes, oh, yeah, that's right. We used to eat. He's feeding me. And ain't no food coming. You just put a sugar-filled breath in your mouth and you trigger hunger. Probably the biggest challenge in a, in a fast is the first couple days is hunger. After about the third day, normally, maybe up to four or five, depends on your body and how much you fasted, hunger will go away. The only thing that will come is a habit hunger every once in a while. I was out in around two weeks fasting. The first time I was out about two weeks, I swore I smelled cheeseburger sub. I love cheeseburger sub. And I started to dream about a cheeseburger sub, and it was, I saw it. It was a vision. It was my mind. It wasn't the spirit. And I smelled it. It was so real, I thought I broke my fast. I was like, I think I just ate that thing. Did I, 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 was that real? One day, a piece of pizza was hovering right in front of me. You have no idea. It was habit hunger. It was my body saying, hello, do you remember me? You remember how that tastes? And I'd be like, <laughs> so habit hunger would come, but technically you get into a fast over a week, your body, you're not even thinking of hunger. Into the second week, most people that understand fasting go into it with the right heart and have fasted at all. It's a 100% effort to come off of the fast. Your body's in a groove. You're not walking every day going, oh my God, I need to eat. I see people fasting in there. They're saying, oh my God, I've been on a fast and wouldn't you know, they had chicken and, or they had this or they had it. I'm thinking, we don't understand what we're doing. We're just suffering our bodies. It's not, it's not if you're fasting and you're just saying, oh my God, I'm fasting today and they got the men's breakfast. Oh, what a tough day to fast. God, get me through. I would say just go to the men's breakfast and eat. Because <laughs> you've lost sight. You don't understand why you're fasting. The benefit of fasting far outweighs the pleasure of eating breakfast. And if it's a thing where I could serve you food when I'm fasting because of what I understand, I could make you supper and put it on your plate the whole time. And it's not a challenge because you understand why you're doing it. It's not about abstaining from food. It's seeking the things of the Spirit. Do you understand? It's not just, I'm on a fast, I can't eat now. Oh my God, I wish I could. Two for one. God, I hope that sale comes back next week. See, if you're thinking that you're fasting for wrong reasons. I'm just being straight. It's not about that. John. Have it. And I can't cover all this today, but I'm just throwing some things out with fasting. It's a quick question. Can is it something that you need to be led into, or could you just in your desire to seek the Lord just say, as I'm sitting here, say, you know what, today I want Absolutely, you have that privilege, absolutely, 100%. And people say you have to be led into a fast. You can be led into a fast. The Lord told me to shut down for those three days. The Lord's told me one time to fast a week, a month, for seven months. 
there was different commissionings of fasting that he did. One time he told me to fast for three months. I ate a meal a day and drank a glass of water at lunchtime. That was all I did. And I worked and ran five miles a day and worked a schedule and drank one glass of water and ate a sandwich and a light meal at lunch. That was all I did for three months. That's humanly impossible. You would dehydrate and die. It's, too, too, it's not enough intake. It's not even enough liquid to substantiate your body. But the Lord had me do that for three months and then told me to stop, and I didn't lose a pound. And right when that was over, my church came and asked me to step on pastorally, and I didn't see that coming, and I told them no. And the third time they asked me, my pastor said, have you even prayed about this? I said, have you even thought about it? I'm not, I'm not a pastor. I'm a warehouse worker in love with Jesus. And, and then it ended up that the Lord told me I was supposed to do it. And I've been kind of in that position ever since. But right before that happened, he had me on a three-month, one meal a day, a cup of water. And I'd go work in a warehouse that was between 90 and 100 because it was metal roofs and no air conditioner. And I ran five miles every day. Do you know how much more you lose running five miles than a glass of water? When I run, when I run five to six miles on a scale, because I run hard, I run under seven-minute miles. I try to run six and a half at least right now, minute miles. Some days I'm feeling really pumped or Jesus will speak something special to me and I'm extra motivated and I really cruise. But I lose five pounds on the scale. If I get on a scale before I run and after I run, it's five pounds difference when I'm done running six miles. It's true. I've been doing it for years. It's five pounds difference. Now you imagine doing that and then drinking one glass of water and then going to work for 10 hours, four days a week and running every day and drinking one glass of water and eating and shutting down everything else the rest of the time. It was totally supernatural. God led me to do that. I don't, I'm not a nutrition guy. I don't study all that stuff. When you talk about carbs and all that stuff, I really, honestly, I'm 49, but I really don't know what you are talking about. I know they're on the labels. I've never looked into them, studied them, don't understand it, and sometimes want to stay free from all that stuff because I see people get so complexed and so I just, I like staying free from all that stuff. <laughs> I just live. <laughs> I live temperate. I live in temperance. If people have knowledge, I see you around now, just get to me. People have knowledge of this, all this nutritional health stuff. I'm not against it. I just, I don't know. Some people that I see that are so conscious of it don't feel as good as the people that don't know nothing happens. Sometimes it might even get you up here. And there was one time the Lord told me I ate too much sugar and he pointed out an area in my life. And I said, wow. And I just stopped. That was simple. That doesn't mean that I need to look into a whole bunch of stuff. So I live temperate. I'm just talking how I live. I'm not telling you I'm right. It's where my conscience is. It's where my faith is. I just know this. Most people have the capacity to read an article that says this preservative this and this causes this. And then you get afraid because you ate it your whole life. And I don't know how to get afraid because I ate it my whole life. I thank God that if it wasn't for the gospel, I'd probably die. And I thank God that he's kept me. And I chuck the article. <laughs> I don't go to the prayer line and ask for cleansing. That's to say you're vulnerable to the natural knowledge instead of the gospel. Vulnerability is fear, by the way. So uh, hang on, Ron, just for a sec. So I want you to see something here. 
you have the right, John's question, you have the right to fast because you want to. But you have to fast for the reason to suppress the things of flesh and grow in the things of spirit to get your mind in a place where you're seeing, you're reading, it's coming alive. God, I want to know you more. Thank you for illuminating me. I thank you, Lord. I am just bringing discipline into my life. I'm not indulging in the flesh. I want to grow in the things of the Spirit. And this kind, this ability to see apart from you is being removed from my life. I'm seeking after you. So it's not just fasting. It's prayer and fasting. So your prayer in the midst of fasting is a powerful place, even more so than just prayer alone. Because you're tuned in. You're dialed in. It's a higher place of prayer. I believe the combination of prayer and fasting. Personally, I believe that because of the extra focus. We pray for, who knows, we pray for a lot of reasons. It's not always faith and it's not always healthy sometimes. It's fear, it's worry, it's troubleshooting, it's desperate. You could fast for a lot of reasons, but wonder if we combined them healthily and do it for the right reason. So you get alone and you pray and you're building yourself up in God. All of a sudden, the things you're praying feel more real. They see all of a sudden the Spirit of God's more prevalent in your life. There's an awareness, and it's all through the process of prayer and fasting, and your flesh is, is submitted. Wouldn't that be awesome if your flesh was just hush? Just hush. Because the flesh and the voices you hear contrary to truth are connected, unless you didn't know that. The self-conscious tendencies and all that stuff, it's all connected to flesh living. The more spirit conscious I become, the more I don't hear that voice. Or if I hear it, it's so exposed that I don't even follow it. Why don't you follow a stranger's voice? Because it's strange. It's simple. You want the stranger's voice to be strange. You follow it? So when I go into a fast, I'll submit myself to God. And I'll, 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 I'll submit myself and I'll put down the things of flesh. Like I'll be alone. You're not there. You're not in the room. Father, I just yield to you. And I just thank you. You've made me to be spirit. And you've you've made me to have authority in the name of Jesus and walk in the kingdom of God and reveal the glory of God. Thank you. I'm not a limited man. I'm not a selfish man. I'm not a self-conscious man. I thank you that anger and frustration and, and wrath and jealousy and all those things have no place in my life. I surrender and submit myself to you. And Father, I just renounce any weakness, anything lethargic, anything undisciplined, anything unyielded. I just give myself to you and I thank you. I am a man of the spirit. I just humbly bow before you and I yield to you and I renounce the things of the flesh and I just thank you and I honor you as almighty God. The spirit of God in me rules and the spirit of God in me reigns and I just humble myself before you and honor you as almighty God, the glory and lifter of my head. You're the one that has raised me literally from the dead. I bow before you and surely you're the one that raises me up. God, I'm a man of the spirit. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Father, I think in agreement with your mind and your heart burns with inside of me. Father, I yield myself to you and I thank you, Lord God, that the things of the spirit are what moves my life. I'm a man of the spirit. My soul agrees and my flesh says, yes, sir. We are in agreement. My spirit is willing and my flesh is strong. My flesh is not a distraction. We are one and we're running together to fulfill the will of God and we will finish this course. I will see your glory and move in your power and not be limited or restricted. My life is in you and surely you are in me. There's a way to enter in to the things of the spirit. Now see, that's how I live when you're not around. 
That's between me and him, them kind of prayers. Now, if I ask around, there's a lot of people that have never even thought to pray that way or don't have the confidence to pray that way. But that kind of prayer, you have to understand too, you're not compared to me. That kind of prayer builds in you over years where you really begin to see and believe. Do you understand what I'm doing here? I'm renouncing and surrendering and, whoops, and yielding and yielding. And as I'm yielding and surrendering, I'm believing who I really am and I'm coming up in him. And the Holy Spirit taught me to enter into fasts like that. Once I come up and I, and it's always different. It's just whatever he's putting on my heart, but I'm yielding to him. Once I walk out of the room, it's on. I'm, I'm blocked. And it's not like, oh my God, I'm hungry. It's not even like that. It's just conscious of him. Now watch. You don't need to fast to live that way. I encourage you to live that way every day. But fasting just keeps your flesh in submission where it belongs. Where you're not just giving yourself to the things of the flesh. You follow what I'm saying? I would encourage you not to pamper your flesh a whole lot. Don't powder it. Pop that up. <laughs> no, you girls, you can still powder. But don't nurture your flesh. Nurture your spirit. You follow me? Ron, did you have something? Turn the bottom, I think the bottom button. Flip. Hello? Yep, you're there, buddy. In the late 90s, um, Mary and I were considering moving, but we didn't know where to move. I got a map of America. I fasted and prayed for about three and a half days. And anyways, I got so lightheaded about the third day, I felt like I was high. I didn't like it at all. Mm-hmm. And anyways, I broke the fast after about three and a half days. But I've been afraid of Right. Okay. Yeah, and you don't, you know, that's where the Lord might say, Ron, I want you to do this to empower you. But if you had experience like that, some people have certain medical conditions that they're still fighting, contending with, believing for. And it's not a law. It's not legalistic. So what I'm saying is, isn't condemnation. The key is, man, just miss a meal now and then. Just skip a meal. Just say, you know what? I'm just going to skip a meal. When I first met Todd, I gave him, he wanted to know about fasting. I told him a little bit. He's like, dude, that's kind of whacked. <laughs> and I gave him a book, and it was a pretty intense, it's a militant book, and you have to read it in grace, so you'll just hear it in law. It's a, it sounds like the law when you read it, but I like it. I can, because I can hear anything in grace and separate. So I want you to talk to me straight. You know what I'm saying? And I'm reading this book going, Whoa. And Todd, I, ga- I gave him the book. I said, well, read this, but make sure. And I told him, and next day I saw him, he gave it back. He had that look in his eyes. He says, dude. You can have the book back. He said, I read a chapter in about two more pages. I just closed the book, said, this ain't for me. And, and at that time, he told me missing a meal was like, yeah, right. Now he fasts every other day. For a season, he fasted every other day, and it became a work to him, and it just became a habit. And on the days he wasn't fasting, he was eating twice as much as he would have anyway. So it was like the Lord just repositioned, got him in a good place, lost a bunch of weight, got himself feeling healthy, and then got his heart realigned and got him back on the every other day thing because the Lord really wanted him to do it. So he does that faithfully. Well, it's Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays he fasts. So that's neat. It's, it's an active. It's just staying active and it's just an unto the Lord thing. It's not a works thing. 
uh, it just keeps your flesh in a good place. So when what Ron's saying is, you have an experience like that, you're not mandated. God's not saying, if you don't fast 10 days, man, if you don't fast 40 days, if you don't fast, you know what I'm saying? He's not saying that. But in your heart to know him more and say, hey, you know what? I want to press into God. I just, this whole thing, if you called me to fast and said, when you fast, there has to be a place to be able to do it, and I'm going to do it. And you just do a day, do miss a meal, stretch into another day, challenge that experience, and by faith, roll into the third day. Don't be afraid. Fear's never God. Do you see what I mean? If it's in your heart, you have that privilege. Do you see what I'm saying? But man, just miss a meal. Some people need to just start somewhere and just miss a meal. Just miss a meal because I'll tell you, you'd be amazed how just missing a meal seems really inconvenient. I don't want to miss a meal. If I miss a meal, I'll get so lightheaded, I'll get shaky. Yeah, and that's your flesh. You've been, you're so trained. <laughs> your flesh is saying, what are you doing to me? <laughs> We're just going to pray through the shakes. I'm going to get alone, close the bedroom, and I'm going to say, God, thank you for grooming my spirit. And you just take a little season like that and watch the fruit and the benefit that'll come. Because I'll tell you what, if missing a meal wipes us out, we're accommodating our flesh in more ways than we realize. I'm just being straight. I'm just being honest. Did you have a comment or something? And I can't, there's so much to cover. I couldn't possibly cover it in this last hour, but. Beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Do you see how the fast has zeroed her in to God, his voice, the battle plan? Yeah, the fast, right the fast gets her away from the whole mess she's in when he shows up in a room. First of all, isn't Jesus amazing to show up in a room and begin to love her and not say, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, isn't that amazing? They bring a woman to him who committed adultery. They got stones in their hands. They want to judge her and they're testing Jesus. And he looks around in the wisdom of God. Oh, it's just so amazing. He says, who among you have not sinned? Go ahead and throw the first stone. We know the story. But see, we think he disqualified everybody, but he, at the same time he disqualified them, he qualified himself to throw a stone. So what he was saying is, I, I legally could have the right to judge you. But he didn't come to judge, he came to save. 
And he looks at her and says, woman, where are thine accusers? She looks around and says, there are none, Lord. He says, I accuse you neither. The reason he said that is because he qualified himself to accuse her. (laughs) But he didn't see her for adultery. He saw her for a daughter. He saw her for potential, for purpose, for destiny. I think it's beautiful. He comes into a room in a mess like that. Boyfriend, girlfriend, just making their own way. Hey, if this didn't work, something else will. Fending for themselves, still hurt, still despairing, still all that stuff. And then cry out to Jesus and he just shows up. Boop. Duh. Loved you. Ah, you better believe he did. And then he brings her into this fast. Why? Because he's grooming her. He's getting her mind off of everything that permitted her to be in the place that she was. Well, I understand. But this whole fast thing, it conditions her. It focuses her. And look what happened. And God releases his grace. And here they are all these years later. And bam. It's just beautiful. But do you see the purpose of that fast? i got to close with this. I, I opened up this fasting thing, and I don't know if we'll cover it anymore, but there's probably some questions or something. But And towards the end of school, just so you know, we'll take a day and probably two right at the end of school, and, and the whole class will just be questions that were maybe held or not that we didn't address or that you still have. And we will just have a whole day, right, Sue? We will have a whole day of just question and answer, and we'll answer the best we can. Okay, so that'll be towards the end of school. But I want to read this in Isaiah 58 and close. And tomorrow, if you have questions on fasting and want to ask some more, we can just try to wrap up some things. But there's some other scriptures we could look at. But just remember that Jesus said, in that day, they will fast. In that day, they will fast. Isn't that amazing? He wasn't interested in them fasting then because it was under the legal code of why people were fasting. And he wasn't going to put an old piece of garment onto something new. He wasn't going to put old wine into something new. He wanted the motive, the reason, and everything about it to be new. Isn't that cool? He's pointing to that here in Isaiah 58. He's, uh... Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgressions in the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily. They delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of, as if everything's cool. See, they're thinking fasting is making up for sin. You see? And all that stuff. Fasting is not, fasting is to see clear, to suppress the carnal nature. We already covered that. It's actually great health benefits to fasting. On the natural side, apart from the gospel, if you just move the gospel completely away, fasting's very beneficial in your life. Gives your body a break, it cleans you out, it's house cleaning, feeds on things that that that, that, that need to be removed. It's just fasting's very healthy. They, they've done studies and results on people that have fasted for long times. And uh, your liver takes its natural shape and size and form and everything gets rested, everything gets cleaned out. When you come off of a fast, especially if it's over three days, you should come off gently and slowly. You just don't go eat a meal. If you're fasting more than a week or two, uh, you should take a long time to come off. You dilute some juices. There's some good books out there on that stuff. I actually have have a, a good book. I'm not sure how you track them down. I have a real good book that tells you how to come off fasts. It's, it's, it's hard to track down. I, there's a guy that gets them out of Texas or something. It's written by Franklin Hall, and I really like it. But uh, he claims that you ought to take as long to come off the fast as you were fasting. 
but it's not quite that extreme. He's just talking on a real healthy side. But say you fasted for 40 days, you shouldn't take less than about 12 days to come off the fast and be eating a normal diet. And you start off with very diluted amounts of diluted juice, real small, and, and then you wean into some fresh fruits and real, there's, there's just some stuff you do. You see what I mean? It's harder. There's more discipline in coming off of a long fast than doing the fast itself. Because when you come off the fast, you trigger hunger. And now your belly's going, feed me. People say, well, if you're fasting for 21 days, that's starving myself. It's not starvation. Fasting is, is, is totally cool. Your body understands it and positions for it and cleans. Remember it says in after 40 days, Jesus hungered. When that strong, viable hunger returned. That's when the fast is complete. A complete fast is when you go into the place where hunger leaves, you're doing good, there's a house cleaning. Actually, two weeks into fasting, I don't know how some people here that fasted long, two weeks into fasting, I have more energy and more zip than I do when I'm not fasting. Two weeks into fasting, I'm like a live wire. I'm like, ah. People say, well, you're like that anyway. No, I'm really like that. Two weeks into fasting. I'm not like, serious. It's just, it's just, his body's just in a good place. But when hunger returns, and different, it's different for people if we're carrying extra weight, uh, if we haven't done long fasts, you could fast. You, it's not just 21, 30, 40, 50 days. It's whatever your body says. But you fast a certain amount of time, and all of a sudden your body's done, and your body says, feed me, and it's time. And if you go past that, that's when you cross the line into starving yourself because your body's saying, look, I need nourishment now. But you'd be amazed how long you can live. Franklin Hall has a lady in the book. She, she fasted 82 days on water, just water. It's fascinating. She did 60, 60 plus days four or five times. <sighs> and when you looked at her in the picture, she was just radiant. Just this precious elderly lady, like a grandmother figure. And she said in the 82 days, she said, the, the uh, experiences of heaven and the glory of Jesus was so magnificent, I swore that I would never eat again. She was in prayer and God translated her to a service. She was on the platform and there was a wheelchair and she prayed for a lady and the lady got healed and got out of the wheelchair. God took her from her bedroom to the service in the 82-day fast. <laughs> I don't know why you wouldn't want that stuff. It's just our bodies are going, 82 days, and our minds are trying to wrap around that. You see what I'm saying? But I'm not saying you have to do that. You don't get legalistic with it. She caught the joy of it and did it. Uh, there's a story in the book of a man who fasted 40 days. Now, I don't want that to happen because I like my hair. It just, ever since I got saved, my hair turned like this. I was 33 and my hair started turning as soon as I got saved. Ain't nobody in my heritage, family, generations that have hair like my hair. It's just a God thing to me. And I don't care. I was 38 and it was completely like this. And uh, I say, the more I pray and read my Bible, it changes. So I'm just okay with it. But this man had, had gray hair, whitish gray hair, and he fasted 40 days, and, and his coal black hair grew back in after a 40-day fast. Just crazy stuff. So I don't know what was causing genetically the gray hair, this and that, but whatever was causing that, it got reverted through the fast, and his hair color came back. Different things. There's a lot of stories in there about the natural benefits of fasting in his book. It's Franklin Hall. I don't know if you can track down a Franklin Hall book on fasting, but it's called The Atomic 
power of God through fasting. But I caution you, if you read it, that you don't read it legalistically. It would be very easy to read that book legalistically and get condemned and go into a fast because you ought to or have to or should to or need to. Fasting's a privilege. So I do caution you if you read that book, so I'm making that clear. If you get a hold of that book, I have a couple laying at home. If somebody, if, if, if you guys want me to bring one of them in and you just want to kind of pass them around, the book is so thin, it's so little, you can burn through it. If you're a reader, and you can just pass it through the school if you want. I can bring it in if somebody would want to read it. Okay? Oh, yeah? Man, you're talking other tongues to me, dude. Whatever. Jesus, it's PBTF. PFD is a life preserver for boating, fishing. What, what is this? A PDF and then a jump. Hatabakasa. I just didn't pray much and get the interpretation. That was other tongues. That was another language, Franklin Hall. But I caution you, if you read it, that you don't read it in the law. It's written, in, it's written almost in the law. Mm-hmm. But the reason I got so much out of it because of the benefit of fasting and his revelation on why to fast, I, just the privilege and the best blessing of it. Uh, so I have a real faith. Do you understand that the faith I have when I fast is what motivates me in the fast? Do you understand that everything you do by faith? If it's a works, no wonder it's so hard. I can't read this. We're late. We will pick up on this tomorrow, and I'm sure there's other questions and stuff. So I just, I just wanted to get in on that because if Jesus, if the only place in the Bible it was recorded in the New Testament uh, 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 being proclaimed where Jesus is on the earth, I understand they're still under the old, but he didn't die yet, but he was still giving us peeks into what was to come, right? He's healing everybody. His people, are, his guys are working and moving in the power. And Man, there was a guy in the Bible that was casting out devils in Jesus' name. You aware of that? And the disciples were bothered because he didn't run with them. But yet somehow he had a revelation of who Jesus was and was using that authority to cast out devils. That's impressive. And they, they wanted to stop him and shut him down. And Jesus said, no, you don't shut him down. Nobody can do a good thing in my name today and soon be against me. That's cool. I'm like, who is this guy that had a revelation, cast out devils in Jesus' name, and he hadn't even died on the cross yet? That's just amazing. So we see that stuff being revealed, and, uh, and yet in this, it's the only place in the New Testament where people prayed and the person wasn't healed. Would you agree? Matthew 17, it's the only place recorded where they prayed and it didn't happen. Jesus had a lot to say about it. And it's the answer, and we ought to respond. And the end was, prayer and fasting was how to get the problem out of the way. So we ought to take heed to that. That's all I'm saying. Amen? So we'll pick up a little bit. Why don't we just stand to our feet and we'll pray. And, and uh, yes, just something I wanted to touch there in my heart. It just came in my heart. Got to teach on healing a little and what's possible and... Be encouraged, man. Lay hands on the sick. The Spirit of God's in us. The kingdom's in us. Remember, when you lay hands on the sick, it's the sign of believing. Not healing. Laying hands on the sick is the sign of believing. The healing comes because you've believed and laid hands on the sick. They recover. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So, Father, we just stand in your presence. We thank you. We just thank you for the grace of just growing and knowing you. Just the grace on this school we would be encouraged and strengthened in every way, God. 
And Father, even this little fasting thing we did here for the last hour, talking about it, just just ask that you touch it and grace it and just put a desire and an understanding in our hearts and, and just multiply us in that way. We just thank you for the benefit of it. We thank you, Lord God, that if we have faith, nothing's impossible. However, the things that are hindering the possible can be removed by fasting. We ought to take heed. So thank you, God, because I don't want limited, and I don't think anyone here wants limited. So teach us, instruct us, and continue to bring revelation upon revelation and let every mountain submit to you. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Bless you guys. You're awesome.